0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: The future of work is going to end up being a lot more zigzaggy even within industries, within organizations. This ladder up and to the right, it just doesn't exist anymore. So how can you think about offering growth or opportunity to your team.
2: Exciting career changes could be in your future, but what does that mean for your wealth? Visit planEFE.com hermoney to schedule a free appointment with an advisor today. Get the expertise you need to help you dream more, demand more, and do more. Hey everyone, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. You know, on this podcast, one of my very favorite things to do is to dive into the pathway toward building long-term wealth. And if you're a regular listener, you have probably heard me talk about the importance of diversifying your investment portfolio. It is the best way, historically, to reduce your risk of losing money while still being able to reap the rewards of the stock market. But on today's show, we're going to talk about the value of diversifying a different kind of portfolio, your career portfolio. Unlike in the stock market, we're often told in our careers that we should be focusing our efforts on a single job or a single field of work. You are supposed to go to school, pick something that you want to study that is going to define your career, and then work your way up in the same industry until you make it to the top. Life doesn't usually turn out to be so straightforward. I think I'm exhibit A of that. You might get laid off. You might take a break to raise your kids. You might realize that that career that you chose in your early 20s doesn't really match up with who you are in your 40s or your 50s. And my guest today argues that in all of those instances, you can reduce risk or even profit by having different kinds of work experiences experience in your portfolio. Christina Wallace has worked as a theater director, a nonprofit arts administrator, a tech entrepreneur, a writer, and most recently a lecturer at Harvard Business School. And over the course of her career, she realized that having all of these different jobs wasn't a weakness. It was actually a strength. She wanted to help other people build their diverse career portfolios, so she decided to write a book about it. It's out now. It's called The Portfolio Life, How to Future-Proof Your Career, Avoid Burnout, and Build a Life Bigger Than Your Business Card. Hey, Christina, thanks for being here. Hi, Gene. Happy to be here. I love this idea, and I love it for so many different reasons. Part of them are that what you describe really mirrors the way I've gone through life. And, and I don't think life is as linear as young people often assume it is. So we're going to talk about it. I mean, you even write in the book that a linear career path is no longer even possible
1: mm-hmm. for
2: many people and that pouring yourself into a single full-time job
1: is the riskiest move you can make. Can you talk about that? Sure. I mean, I think the first time it even really occurred to me was in the 2008 financial crisis when many of us, I was in business school at the time. Many of my classmates, we were in our mid-20s. We you know, were trying to figure out where we fit into the world, and we were seeing our parents suddenly getting laid off. And at a point in their career where they had gone all in, focused, worked their way up that ladder, and now they were stranded for something that they had no control over, that wasn't a result of a bad choice or, you know, anything of their own doing. And yet, this outside disruption disrupted that trajectory, and they were at a point where they didn't have any other cards to play. And I think that was the first time that I had felt at a macro level what I had also felt very small. I came up from not a ton of money. I I grew up in a very kind of working class world. And I had this sense that I didn't have a safety net and I had to hustle. And I was willing to do a little bit of whatever in order to build that stability for myself. I felt that stability through diversification through multiple income streams, through multiple kind of irons in the fire. And I put these two kind of data points together and started to recognize that this idea of linear careers, this is a really recent phenomenon. If you look at the grand scheme of how people work and have made a living and have contributed to their communities over time, this is really a result of industrialization in the 20th century, and this notion where we needed folks to really fit a little cog in a wheel, play one role in what is otherwise a larger operation. And that's when we started asking people to really focus in, pick a thing, specialize, and do nothing else, which is fine as long as the world doesn't change. But I think we can look around and see that disruption is absolutely the status quo now. And so if you're trying to continue to follow that linear playbook, you are going to find more often than not these external forces, these disruptions, are going to throw you off that trajectory and you have no control over that. So you're talking as i'm
2: hearing you about two different ways to track through your career. And and i know you've got actually three different models in your book. But what i'm hearing is okay, there is one trajectory that might include transferable skills that take you into different jobs and into different industries. And you use this skill set to fit into a variety of places. The other thing, though, that I'm hearing is this model of multiple income streams. And I'm wondering if you see people gravitating to one or the other, or you feel that one is preferable.
1: I think they're two sides of the same coin. So part of this starts from a position of defining your identity, your professional place in the world, one level higher than your current job title, your current industry, your current trajectory. If you can find a way, and I I have some exercises and some work on this in the book, to really understand what you bring to the table. At a higher level than just a, I'm a marketing manager in pharmaceutical company, right? Then you can have that flexibility to say, maybe I'm zigging and zagging, as you say, like connecting those dots or taking that skill set to different worlds, different industries, different companies, different roles. But it also opens the possibility of maybe I have side income from a small consulting practice. Maybe I have a business that it's unrelated to my day job, but I like doing it it brings me fulfillment, and it's kind of nice to have a little bit of extra income on the side that I don't necessarily plan for, but it's a nice cushion there. And that if something were to happen to my main source of income, I actually, it now brings me some diversification, some stability. I can toggle up and toggle back the different sources and the different streams as necessary. It gives you that flexibility. It gives you that optionality. And it gives you an identity that's not tied to someone else's decision whether or not you get laid off today.
2: When you try to define yourself one level up, so you're not a marketing manager at a pharmaceutical company, how do you do that? And what are the ingredients in your new definition?
1: So I define myself as a human Venn diagram who's built a career at the intersection of business, technology, and the arts. And I came to that definition because I recognized that what I bring to the table in any team I'm on, any room I'm in, is number one, this expertise and these networks and this on-the-ground experience in these different industries. And number two, I bring the ability to connect the dots between them. It's that associative thinking, that diagonal work of like, I'm going to steal this, I'm going to copy and paste over here, and that orthogonal way of seeing the world and of solving problems is what I offer. And so part of me pulling up a level was to say, well, what do I bring to the room? What access can I offer? What insights do I bring? And how do I work? And finding a way to describe that. So it could be something like that, a human Venn diagram, a very mathematical approach, given my math background. It could be something as simple as maybe you're a storyteller, and you're a storyteller in a marketing context. You could be a storyteller in a sales role. You could be a storyteller in a nonprofit grant writing context, right? But that might be something that you say, whatever that thing is, I can find the narrative arc and I can win you over with that story.
2: We had dinner on Saturday night with my friend Gwen and her relatively new boyfriend. It always feels weird to call a 60-year-old guy a boyfriend, (laughs) but relatively new boyfriend, Bernie. And he runs a chamber of commerce here outside Philadelphia. And he used to be in charge of a publication here in Philadelphia, Philadelphia Business Journal. And I said to him, how would you do that? How did you make that switch? And he looked at me like that was kind of an odd question. But then he thought about it. And he said, well, what I really do is just produce content. And so for this Chamber of Commerce now, I'm producing a lot of content. It's event content a little bit more than it's written content. But it's all content. And that made sense to me. And so I guess that's sort of that one level of thinking that you're talking about. Could you walk us through those three different models of the portfolio life so that people who
1: are listening maybe could find themselves? Sure. So the first model is called the Moonlighter model. And this is a world where you have a day job whether it is something you love, or maybe it's just a good enough job. Maybe it brings you things that you really need, like health insurance and predictable hours. And then there's something else you do in your free time, nights, weekends. And this could be something that you monetize, something I commonly called a side hustle. But it doesn't have to be monetized. Or it doesn't have to be monetized at the beginning. This could be a serious hobby you have. It could be something that you want to learn more about. Maybe you're taking a coding boot camp or you're diving into the world of writing and you want to take your blogging to the next level and become a published author. Whatever that is, it's something that you're very serious about and you're dedicating time and resources to. And what's nice about the Moonlighter model is for some people, they stay in that model, that relationship for a long time. That might be how they go through their portfolio. The day job brings certain things and the Moonlighting investment of their time, their energy brings them other things like community or creativity or growth. So the Moonlighter model actually,
2: the side Portion your side hustle or whatever your other activity is, it could
1: cost you money. It doesn't have to make you money. Absolutely. It could cost you money. And if it gives you something in return, then it might be worth it to you. Maybe the good enough day job pays for the moonlighting project, and that's what brings you joy. You know, you might say, I want to be part of a band, and I'm going to buy a lot of expensive gear, and I'm probably not going to get booked for gigs, but being able to make music on a regular basis with my friends, it matters to my happiness, to my balance, and it makes me excited to show up for that otherwise, eh, day job, because that affords me this freedom. But for some people, moonlighting actually becomes a bit of their on-ramp to another one of the models so that zigzag is sort of the second model that says well you might start by moonlighting as you learn that coding or work on your band and it starts building momentum and you realize you want to make that your day job and this might be something where you are transitioning out of an industry that might not be growing anymore or a, a bit of a dead end in terms of a career path or it could be opportunistic. My best friend was a middle school science teacher for a decade and one day woke up and said, "I really wanted to be a doctor." And I kind of sold myself short by not trying. And at 33, she went to medical school and is now graduating to become an OB-GYN in her 40s, right? Like a zig and a zag, but it was something that she really cared about and it gave her an opportunity to go in that direction and It was on her, though, to connect the dots for the admissions committee, for the residency interviews of why that first life actually positioned her to be an amazing physician rather than someone who, like, couldn't make up her mind and was just trying something else. If you're zigging and zagging, I hear
2: what you say about the Moonlighters becoming zigzaggers, right? So my younger brother worked for a mutual fund for years and years and years and years, and played music on the side and slowly built up his music business to the point where a couple of years ago, he was actually making enough money from the music business to quit the mutual fund, right? That was a very slow and steady, but nice path from Moonlighter to Zigzagger. But somebody like your friend, now the doctor, fabulous, by the way, that kind of a zigzag can be really expensive.
1: So how do you fund a zigzag? So in this case, she made the choice to stop teaching full-time and go into—first, it was a post-baccalaureate program because she had some prereqs for med school that she hadn't covered her first time around in college— but What was nice about the post back was it was a little bit of a, a chance to try it out before committing to four years of medical school. It was like, let's take a couple of classes and let's make sure this is what I want before I go in on it. And then in the case of medical school, being really intentional about where can I get meaningful scholarship support? Are there ways I can still use my teaching, whether I'm tutoring or finding opportunities to take this into maybe a clinic or even a volunteer role that gives me some legitimate experience in this field that I can then translate when it's time to do the residency interview. So there may be times where money gets tight if you're doing that zigzag, where you come off of one mountain and you're going up the next mountain, but first there's a valley between the two. And those might be cases where you have to save up for that zigzag. You got to be strategic and prepare financially as much as professionally, mentally for that zigzag. But there are ways to do this. And I think if you recognize that that is not actually the barrier that it might feel like in the moment, it can give you permission to go after the thing that you actually really want to do for this next season of your life. The third model, portfolio
2: life model, is what you call a multi-hyphenate. I think that's what I am, but
1: I'll reserve judgment until I hear you describe it. So multi-hyphenate, or sometimes people call them like the slash 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 people, you know, you commonly see this in the creative world, the actor slash director slash producer in Hollywood. This is not unheard of in many worlds, but it's an opportunity to say, I do multiple things At once. And in many ways, they're sort of equally weighted in my mind. It's not the day job with sort of the side project. It's I'm going to write this book and teach these classes and do this podcast and. In doing all of these activities, they all can feed into each other. There can become a bit of a virtuous cycle in terms of lead gen for business opportunities, for identity building, for brand building. But also, there can be opportunities to kind of connect the dots between what otherwise might be seemingly unrelated worlds. And create a new industry. Be on the forefront, the vanguard of something new. I have a profile of someone in the book who had experience in the tech world and experience as a filmmaker. And when VR and AR storytelling really hit its stride a few years back, he was there ready to go and says, I understand the tech side. I understand the storytelling and the filmmaking. And I'm going to go full course ahead and be one of the first people in this world. I
2: want to talk about people who are feeling like, this sounds amazing, but I am so stuck. I've been doing this one thing for such a long time that I don't know how to get outside of myself. Before we do that, though, let me just remind everyone that this podcast is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. And whether you are up with the sun or burning the midnight oil, you work really hard to excel in your career. We know that. It took grit, it took determination, it took skill to get where you are today. But what happens if things change? What happens if you want to open a business, go for a promotion, move for your dream job? How does that affect your financial life. Visit planefe.com slash hermoney to schedule a free appointment with a financial advisor today. With an integrated approach to wealth management, you'll get the expertise you need to help build momentum with your finances and your career. I am talking with Christina Wallace, Harvard Business School lecturer and author of The Portfolio Life. So for those people who think this sounds nice
1: but can't see the first step, what do you say? So there are two tactics that I love to give people when they're feeling in that moment of stuckness. That's usually when people show up on my door and say, I, I want that, and I don't know how to get started. There are two ways to approach it. One. Is an internal reflective approach. And part of that is the work of going back and excavating all of the pieces of who you are, what you've loved, where you thrive that you might have carved off or put in a drawer or said, you know, now I'm trying to be serious and move forward in this thing. I'm gonna take that stuff and say, thanks, but I don't need you anymore this is your chance to bring it back. So whether that was you were the debate champion or you love making cakes or this is you know, a secret dream to try stand-up comedy, whatever those things are that are part of who you are, bring them back out and shake off a little bit of that like professional jacket that you have put yourself into in order to go down this path. Because I promise you, I have two toddlers right now They are the most creative, interesting, crazy people. (laughs) (laughs) And they can't even like stick to a character long enough to complete three lines of dialogue in their play, let alone be one thing for a decade, right? All of us were that person at one point. So excavate those parts of you and try to bring them back to see, is this something that I want to explore again? Is this a skill that I could actually bring into the work I'm doing now? And that could change my direction. But if internal reflection isn't working for you, you're like, listen, I've been staring in the mirror for three weeks and I still don't know who I am. (laughs) Fine, fine. Then there's an external version of this as well. And that is, go talk to the people who know you and love you and have them tell you who you are. So when I started out my entrepreneurial trajectory, I had a giant failure of a company. My first initiative on this path is called Quincy Apparel. It didn't work out. Total failure. First time I failed in my entire life. And when I was recovering from that failure and trying to figure out how to get back on my feet, I really felt lost. I was like, I don't know who I am, what I have to offer. And so I went out and had coffee with everyone I knew. Also, they had to pay for the coffee because I was broke. (laughs) And, And I asked them three questions. I said, when have you seen me happiest? What do you come to me for? Like, what's that moment where you're like, you know what? I should see what Christina thinks about this. And where do I stand out against my peers? I needed them to reflect back to me what they saw because I couldn't see me anymore. And what I thought was really interesting across, I did like 70 of these coffee chats. Oh, my god! I did so, it was a lot of coffee. That's so brave. I mean, I'm just, I'm flashing on Jack Nicholson
2: in As Good As It Gets when he went on that listening tour of all the women that he dated to
1: hear who he actually was as a date. I mean, luckily, I didn't call up any of my exes. I don't think I'm that brave. But it's very similar. It's, it's. You know, it might have been brave. At the moment, I felt so lost. It was a lifeline. It was this or like move to Iowa and make bread. Like, I I didn't know what else to do. And what I thought was so interesting was that across all of these coffee chats, people that I had known for a decade, people I had only known for six months and had only seen me in the last stages of my startup failure— they all basically said the same thing. Like I got such consistent feedback off of those questions that it was really easy at the end of this to say, like, OK, I think I have a sense of like who I am and what I have to offer and where to go next. And then when it came time to actually ask for a job, I knew exactly what I was looking for. And my network was able to show up for me and make that referral. So if you can't see yourself, It's totally fine and normal. Ask the people who love you to to show you who you are. Love that.
2: Let's try to put the pieces together for people. And I want to talk about it from a few different perspectives, right? If you're trying to reach outside your day job and explore a coding boot camp or explore improv or whatever, your boss might think, this person (laughs) here, not so committed to my job. By the same token, you're likely putting in a lot of intense hours, right? Intense hours on the job, intense hours that you're investing in what you think might be your other thing or your next thing. How do you suggest that people structure this and how important is, I guess, I hate the word balance. I mean, balance, I have to reach back decades to figure out a time (laughs) that I worked... 40 hours a week when I wasn't on vacation
1: because it's it, it, just, it just doesn't happen, right? Uh-huh. But how do you put the pieces together? Sure. So this is super important to me. I didn't want to write a book that was like, here's an idea, and then I walk away and you're like, okay, but literally how would I do this? Because you do have to put more work into this model. I won't sugarcoat that. It takes effort and intentionality. But I'll give you sort of the short version of this. I hate that phrase, like, you can't have it all, but you can have it all, but not all the time. I don't like it, but I think it it has some truth to it, which is you think about your portfolio. The way that you design it can't just have your work. Because as you point out, your work is not in a vacuum. It's in the context of your life. When you're designing your portfolio, your work is in there, your family, your personal growth, your hobbies, your rest how you recover the downtime that you need is an important part of the design of your portfolio. So you have to think about it holistically and you will go through seasons, chapters of your life where you will need very different things. So part of the work is to assess what season am I in and what do I need right now? And separately, always sort of on the other side of the the table is like, and what are my big wishes and wants for my life? And based on what I need, what I have capacity for right now, which of those can I pull in to this version of my portfolio? And then when your needs change, You rebalance. That's, I think, the power of this, right? Just like a financial portfolio, you rebalance when you reach a different stage of life. So right now, I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old. I do not have time (laughs) for 17 moonlighting projects. Like, all I am doing is teaching, promoting this book, and hanging out with my kids. Like, that's all I have time for. Singing in a choir, on the back burner loving improv comedy on the back burner all of these other things that i got to do in my 20s and 30s before i had kids that's not part of my life right now with small children but this is only for now this is this season of life so part of it is the realization that you have a certain capacity and a certain set of needs that might look very different from the person sitting next to you or even yourself five ten years ago And so it's the frank recognition of what do you have to work with? And then what do you want to put together in that capacity that you have available? But you asked another question, which is about like, how do you deal with the perception of this? Whether it's your boss or your partner or your kids, I don't know, who are suddenly like, what is this about? Should I be concerned? Yeah. Well, so part of this, you can point to some of the research that I give you in the book, just hand it to your boss and say, this shows having fulfillment outside of work, having hobbies or growth or a side hustle outside of work is proven to make people more fulfilled, happier in their day job, knowing they have something autonomy over, independence, whatever that is, that actually makes people happier, especially if they have kind of crappy day jobs. So having I wouldn't that- say that last part to my boss, just, just, just saying. You can keep that quiet part. But being able to show, because it's not just about that independence and, and autonomy. It's also about how are you engaging with new ideas? How are you getting exposed to something that might spark that creativity in your day job? If you're just doing the same thing over and over, you're talking to the same people over and over, You're not bringing anything new to the table. So if I were a boss, I would be thrilled if my team had things that they gave their time to, their attention to outside of work. And especially if they were transparent with me about that, because I promise you they're doing it whether or not you know about it. So I would want to know because, and this is why I talk to a lot of HR folks, a lot of talent managers around this idea, the future of work is going to end up being a lot more zigzaggy even within industries, within organizations. This ladder up and to the right, it just doesn't exist anymore. So how can you think about offering growth or opportunity to your team that might be a rotation to another department? It might be a secondment to a client or some other sort of a zigzag. And if you know what they're interested in outside of how they show up in their day job, it can help inform what that assignment might be or what that opportunity you give them that is going to feel really fulfilling, even if it's not the promotion or the pay raise or whatever. It's still something you can give them to help them grow, and they're going to stick around for a manager who thinks about them like that. Yeah. I go back to my brother for a second.
2: His company, when he worked for the mutual fund, was so supportive. They hired his band to play at the Christmas party. So I
1: love that. Yeah.
2: So really, really good path. Christina, this was fantastic. Thank you so
1: much. Are there socials we should follow? Where else can we go to hear more from you? I mean, the big thing around the book, PortfolioLife.com. Everything you need to know about events and giveaways and whatever else might be coming up there. And then just me on the social, I'm at CM Walla. CM Walla. Okay. Thank you for being
2: here. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Jean. Before we dive into our mailbag, just a reminder that Her Money is supported by BCU. BCU is a credit union that helps its members take control of their money using a variety of financial tools and resources. BCU's passion is to empower people to discover financial freedom by providing caring support and services that create the value that you deserve. Learn more at bcu.com org. Catherine Tuggle joins me now for our mailbag. Hey Catherine. Hi
0: Jean. I love that conversation.
2: Yeah, I thought she was terrific. And then when she said she had a one year old and a three year old in the house, I'm like, how are you speaking so coherently? I, I mean I, that that's beyond.
0: Yeah. But you know, I do think what she's talking about is having the ability to know what in your life is worth investing in. And I think nothing really distills that quite as much as children because right. they take so much of your time and energy. It, like I've heard from so many moms, you just get this keen sense of like what is important in your life. And clearly she's found that. Absolutely. I also
2: found that having children made me much more efficient. Hmm. As soon as I had kids, I started getting my work done in much less time. And I think it was because I had new priorities. I wanted to get home and I wanted to clear my plate. And I I don't think that my work suffered. I think that I was able to do it well in less time because I wanted something else. And in that way, the portfolio life, if you're trying to use your evenings and weekends to cultivate another skill or to find the next career that works for you or to explore a hobby or a passion... If that's your priority, then you'll get done what you need to get done more efficiently and effectively simply because you have a goal.
0: Right. I totally agree. I mean, I think the fewer hours that you have in the day, you learn to work quicker. You learn to cut out what's not working for you and focus on the most important things in your world. And they say, and it's a cliche, but it's a very true one. If you have something
2: that you need to get done, give it to a busy woman. My daughter said that she was sitting with her camp friends at one point, and they were all commenting on the fact that they have moms who get shit done. And, you know, no dig against their fathers, but I think it's something that many of us are really good at. We line up the dominoes and we knock them down.
0: I could not agree more. You got to get those to-do lists perfected. (laughs) And then at that point, it's like, there's nothing you can't do. Exactly. Let's take some questions. Our first question today comes from Kristen. She writes, Hi, Jean. I'm a 44-year-old single mom. I make $250,000 a year, and I've saved $75,000 in a high-yield savings account. It's still not enough to buy a home in San Diego in a decent neighborhood with a good school. For example, $500,000 would only get me an 800-square-foot condo with a -a $450-a-month HOA in a 3 out of 10 school-rated district. I'm lucky to rent a house in San Diego for $2,700 a month, but it's a month-to-month lease, and the middle and high schools in this area are not good. I've worked so hard to secure us financially, so not being able to buy a house with a good school system is totally heartbreaking. Although I'd give anything to move to a cheaper place out of state, I can't due to custody. That means I have another 7.5 years in San Diego. I have zero tax write-offs. I just feel so incredibly stuck, and I'm not sure what to do next. I'd love some advice. Thank you so much. Oh,
2: boy. This is a tough one because of those custody issues and because I don't really know San Diego. I am wondering a couple of things. The first thing I'm wondering about is the outlying communities of San Diego and if there are any communities that do have better schools where you might be able to relocate under the terms of your custody agreement and make it work. And maybe in a rental, if you don't want to own in those communities, but a community where you could find a good school for your children. I'm also wondering about a multi-family housing kind of a situation where perhaps you buy a property that allows you to live in half of it and allows you to rent the other half out for income that would help subsidize your cost of living, again, in a good school district. I am not sure whether those properties exist in volume in San Diego, but they do exist in many parts of the country. And so I would start talking to realtors about expanding your definition of a home to things beyond a single family home with a fence and a yard. The last thing I might do, and you don't mention your ex here, but the last thing I would very likely do is to pick up the phone and call my lawyer and ask whether there is any sort of a workaround in terms of renegotiating your custody agreement. The point of a custody agreement is to provide for the well-being of your child or your children. And I am, I don't know your ex, but I hope that Your ex wants exactly the same thing that you do, meaning a good path for your kids. And perhaps there is, at this point, a little bit of maneuvering that can be done from within the confines of that custody agreement to renegotiate it. Maybe you swap summers for the school year. Maybe there's some give and take with family vacations to give you the leeway to create the life that you know that your children need or to negotiate for additional support that would help you provide for housing in a school district that is satisfactory. I'd love to hear where you take this, Kristen, and how it goes from here.
0: Yeah, that's great advice, Jean. And just looking at this at what a high earner she is, I also feel like with the right aggressive saving strategy, she could be only like a year away from buying a house, which is is really not that long of a wait.
2: Yeah. No, I, definitely not that long of a wait. And maybe interest rates will even have come down by then. It's also, I don't know what field you work in, Kristen. It is also still a fairly tight housing market. And if you've been in this job for a while, you may want to take a look and see what's out there on the landscape because if you got yourself a job not at 250 a year but at 300 a year then that amount that you've got socked away would grow very very quickly as long as you maintain your cost of living for right now.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Jean. Sure. Our next question comes to us from Kathy. She writes, "Hi her money team. I need some guidance. My husband is self-employed, so that's a process on its own, and I'm a stay-at-home mom." I finally started building up our emergency savings again after depleting it last year due to medical issues. I'm also working to save for moving expenses, a vacation this summer, and for my son's college. My question is how to start saving for all of these things at once and what the distribution should be. It's all new to me, which is probably why it's feeling overwhelming to figure it out. I haven't been used to saving at all. I would love your ideas on how to separate and save for each one at the same time. Thank you so much.
2: This is a great question, and it plays into this whole idea of what behavioral finance experts call mental accounting, which is that when you have different pots of money assigned to different goals, you are more likely to stay on track with your savings process for all of them. So here's how I would approach this. The first thing I would do is to figure out what you can save in general, to look at how much money is spilling off that you can devote to overall savings. Then I would look at these various goals that you have and the priorities of those goals. Your son's college, how quickly is that approaching? How much have you saved? How much of college do you intend to try to pay for? The vacation this summer, what's it likely to cost? Where are you going? Have you already made reservations and put your eyes on plane flights? And again, what is that ticket likely to be? And moving expenses, when is that going to hit? And again, how much is that likely to cost you? Once you have the priorities, it'll be easier to divide up the pie. If this was my list, I would likely put the emphasis on those emergency savings just to get them back into a spot where they could actually weather an emergency. So at least a few thousand dollars and preferably three months worth of living expenses, I would turn to college and make sure that money is flowing into a 529 college savings account. I would get some help with that by telling all of your additional family members, grandparents, aunts, uncles, anybody who might like to give your son a gift at some point that this account exists and that if they were wanting to make a contribution, you would be incredibly appreciative. And then I would look at How much is left over and probably divide it between the moving expenses and the vacation. You may have to adjust your timetable on some or all of these things in order to make them all possibilities. But one thing we know is that when savings happens automatically, you move money out of your checking account and into these various accounts, then it is more likely that you will be able to stick with that habit. And you can be a little flexible here. We're in the season of tax refunds. I don't know if you're getting one, but if you're getting one, you carve that up and you move a little bit of money into each of these buckets and that helps you get to those goals faster.
0: So true, Jean. Good reminder on the automation, so important.
2: You know, we say it a lot. But I don't think that we can emphasize it often enough. It's one of those things that just helps us get out of our own way. Absolutely. As we wrap up our mailbag, just a reminder, the podcast is not the only place you can ask your money questions. Her Money also has a coaching program. It's called Finance Fix, and you can get answers about your financial situations by working one-on-one with a trained coach and a group of women who are learning with you. It's an 8-week online course where we cover budgeting, paying off debt, building good money habits and so much more and we are rolling out some new classes specifically for the younger women in your lives. Think about those women who are just coming out of college and trying to make their salaries go as far as possible, as well as for couples and for people on the West Coast who don't like to sign on to our classes, which typically go off at eight o'clock Eastern time. You can learn more about All of these at financefix.com. And we spell fix with two X's. Hey
0: there, listeners. It's Nima Gobeer. I'm the co-host of MindShift, the podcast where we explore the future of learning and how we raise our kids. I don't teach math,
1: I don't teach reading, I teach people.
0: You'll hear from teachers, parents, researchers, and students as we uncover innovative approaches in and out of the classroom.
1: It holds a lot about how we want students and young people to move through the world, how we want to set them up for success.
0: Find MindShift wherever you get your podcasts.
2: And in today's Thrive, usually when we talk about pets on this show, We are focused on the price tag because let's face it, caring for pets can get expensive fast, but we shouldn't forget the value that pets bring to our lives. It's so much bigger than a dollar figure. They can relieve our stress, improve our mental health, and ultimately make us better people in all areas of our lives. Here's a quick look at the ways pets help us physically and emotionally. First, cuddling your furry pup or kitten actually has proven health benefits. Studies show petting an animal can cause your brain to release oxytocin, the love hormone, which makes you feel calmer and lowers your levels of the stress hormone cortisol. Cuddling also releases dopamine and serotonin, both of which reduce feelings of depression. Even when you're not actively holding your pet, just having them around can make you feel less lonely. And whenever they do something silly, you get a laugh, which is terrific and free medicine. If you relieve stress by watching funny animal videos online, imagine watching them happen live in your own home. Pets can also help you stick to a routine. If you're in a rut, It can sometimes be hard to push yourself to tackle your to-do list. You might not have the energy to go out on a walk just for you, but you might be more motivated if you've got a dog by your side. That means more exercise for you, and just having that sense of responsibility can give you a mental boost. Caring for something other than yourself can give you confidence, encourage you to think beyond your own problems, and force you to appreciate the present moment. If you're grateful for everything that your pet does for okay. you. Q Norman. Give them a big hug, throw in some extra treats, and also consider getting pet insurance so you can give them the best care throughout their lives. You can visit our partner, Healthy Paws, to get a free instant quote today. Just go to healthypawspetinsurance.com slash hermoney. Thanks for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks so much to Christina Wallace for showing us why our career portfolios are just as important as our investment portfolios. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk soon.